more people trickle on in slowly and fill, it, and fill us up. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you that you're a God that never changes. You're a God that never fails. We can trust in you. We can rely on you. Lord, I thank you that you're always good. And Lord, even though sometimes we're blinded to your goodness, I thank you that that's a character of you. You are good. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to rest in that knowledge that you are good. You're good to us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning and that we would be willing to make adjustments to our lives based on the principles found in your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are on lesson number nine together. Can you believe we've been doing a ladies' class for over two months? I'm like, man, I can't believe time goes by fast. Can you believe we're already in October next week? My goodness, it is crazy. I feel like, you know, they say the older you get, time just flies by faster. I think that's true. I feel like this year is just zipped by. Um, I just like, man, I got to start thinking about Christmas stuff and a Christmas program and oh, I'm not ready for that. Um, but that's all right. Well, today our lesson is a woman who is self-control. That's the character we're looking at this morning is of self-control. And remember, really, the series is renewing biblical womanhood. What does the Bible say that we as women are to have in our lives? And are we willing to instill those things? You know, the truth of the matter is we all know things that we should have in our lives. But it really comes down to the question is, am I willing to put in the time, the work, the sacrifice to make it a part of my life? Um, and so self-control is the area we're going to look at today. We are in Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Another new verse, right? We're in Titus chapter 2, verse 3 for a long time. And then we finally got to 4. Now we're in 5. So we are plugging along. But I want us to start at verse number three, just to remember the context, because these verses all flow together. So Titus chapter three, just for sake of context, text, even though um, the word we're focusing on is found in verse five. Titus chapter two, verse three, says this. The aged women likewise. Remember the context of this passage is women in the church, specifically women in the church. Titus is a young pastor. Paul is writing to him, instructing him how um, pastors are to behave, how deacons are to behave, how men in the church are to behave, and how women in the church are to behave. And specifically in this passage, as we mentioned before, this is just review to get our minds in the right place. Um, it's the aged women, the responsibility is given them is to teach certain things. So the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And we've, we've noted this before, but I think it's so important to note that before any of us can teach something, there's things we have to be first. Did you notice that? The aged woman, their behavior has to be a certain way first. And that's for all of us. Before we're going to be an example to others, we have to make sure there's things that are right in our lives. So it lists off those things, holiness, not false accusers, not giving them much wine, and then they're to be teachers of good things. And then it lists these things that they're to teach, that they may teach the young women to be sober, we looked at that word, to love their husbands, to love their children. We studied those two phrases the past couple weeks. And now in verse five, we're looking at the word to be discreet, to be discreet. Um, 
I think maybe um, when we hear the word discreet, we think of maybe like a very, I don't know, I think of somebody from like a young lady from like the 50s or something, you know, who's very like um, a proper young lady, right, who dresses a proper way, um, who behaves a certain way, she's discreet. Um, I guess that's just what kind of came to my mind. But the word discreet actually means, in the literal Greek, to be in control of one's senses. This is funny, sane. <laughs> in other words, they're in their right mind. <laughs> um, and I want you to get this part, because this is so important, this next part of the definition. Curbing one's desires and impulses, self-controlled. In fact, this other Greek, this same Greek word, which is the Greek word sophron, it is translated um, self-controlled actually several other times in the New Testament. Um, so that's where we get our title, a woman who is self-controlled. Um, but in control of one's senses, curbing one's desires and impulses. This word carries the idea that biblical women, women in the church, are to live controlled lives. Have you ever met somebody, maybe you've seen them in the store, and you don't really know them, but by their appearance, they kind of seem to be an out-of-control person. <laughs> maybe their appearance is out of control. Um, maybe it's somebody you know, and just like their personality seems a little bit out of control. Um, maybe their tongue is out of control. Um, Paul is writing to Titus, and he says that the women in the church are to learn to be self-controlled, in control of themselves, their senses, learning to curb their desires and impulses. Um, the truth of the matter is Christians, we're either controlled by ourselves, right, and what we want to do, and that often might make us appear out of control when we're controlled by that way, or we're controlled by Christ. And so here's the question I want us to think of, and this might seem like such an elementary truth, and in some ways it is, but it is so applicable to all of us, no matter what stage of, of life we're in, what spiritual stage we're in. Um, on your note sheet, I would like you to write this down under the area of the principle of control. I would like you to write down this question. Who controls you? Or in this case, who controls me? Who controls me? Or what controls me? You know, the truth of the matter is we are all controlled by different things. Um, society, to some extent, has a control on us, doesn't it? I mean, we sometimes we just do certain things because it's, what society might expect, right? Or what's acceptable in society. Um, I think for younger generations, my age and younger, society's trends control them. Um, I think a lot of, you know, I think a lot of time women, especially younger women, can get flack for what they wear. And I don't think, honestly, now, okay, don't get me wrong, there are women that dress a certain way to get a certain result, but I think a lot of young people, they just dress a certain way because that's what society says is popular and they're just controlled by society. They're not trying to be flagrant or, you know, um, they're just following society because that's what controls them and society's trends control them. You know, maybe, um, I think again, for younger people, friends can control. Um, I know working with teenagers, that is such a big thing. Teenagers will do the dumbest things that they will never do on their own simply because their friends do it and they're controlled by their friends. And the truth of the matter 
more is. I think as adults, we're not all that different, right? We kind of know in our group of peers kind of what's acceptable or maybe what's expected, and so we act that way. Um, I think in our workplaces, right, we know maybe um, our, you know, our, the other employees are of a certain mindset, and so we'll kind of allow them to control us. We'll morph ourselves to be portrayed a certain way in order to fit in. Um, family, I think at any stage, family has a certain control upon you and what you do and don't do. Um, I think finances, money, oh boy, doesn't that control us, right? It determines what jobs we do. It just determines simple things, whether we take time off with our family, you know, um, it controls so much about our lives, this money, so many choices we make. Um, and then obviously the flesh or the old man, the old nature controls us and its desires and its appetites or we can live a life that is controlled by Christ. So the question is, is who controls you? Who controls you? Um, and really, I think I mentioned this before in an earlier lesson, but the idea of self-control, it should really be Christ's control. I, I think we understand that. The Christian ought to be controlled by Christ, but does he in the areas of our life? I want you to turn a couple passages with me, and these are not revolutionary groundbreaking passages okay these are very foundational passages with very foundational scriptural principles but i want us to look at them and to really consider this idea of who controls us who controls us turn with me first to romans chapter 12. romans chapter 12 verse 1. i don't think you can hardly think about the idea of who controls you without looking at this verse a common verse if you haven't memorized this verse you should um, romans chapter 12 in verse number one and if you have a pen, I would encourage you to mark some things in your Bible. You know, the, when I was younger, I used to take, um, you know, I used to have a, a notebook, right? And I used to take sermon notes. Um, and that's a good thing. If you do that, I'm not trying to discourage you. But you know, as I found older, what I love to do more than taking notes in a separate notebook? Because, like, that notebook, I don't, like, go back and reference it, probably. I love to underline things and mark things in my Bible. So then when I come back to the verse, I have certain things marked. And it's kind of like your own little commentary on things, so to speak. So Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 says this. It's Paul writing again. And look how he begins this, this verse. I beseech you. Beseeching has the idea of begging, pleading. Paul is writing to the church um, in Rome the Christians in Rome, I should say, and he's saying, I beseech you, I'm begging you to do something. You know, just the fact that he starts it with those words, I'm begging you, means this is something that not all Christians are doing, or he wouldn't have to be begging people to do it. He says, I beseech you, I beg you, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, that's a key word, this is not written to the unsaved, this is written to Christians. By the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You know, we all know of a sacrifice, right? We know the Old Testament, how they were to sacrifice lambs or calves or all those animals upon the altar. But Paul doesn't just say a sacrifice. He says a living sacrifice. You're alive, but you are to die to yourself essentially die to your desires your like we looked at this definition of the word discreet um your desires and impulses die to them and i love that phrase it's your reasonable service do you know what i think 
well, I know. <laughs> Do you know what we believe sometimes as Christians? Like, God asks so much of us. You know, like, oh, I just can't really give full control of my life to God because that's unreasonable, right? That's like extreme. That's too much. No, Paul says this is reasonable. This is not something unreasonable that God is asking us. This is our reasonable service. And then he goes on, and be not conformed to this world. You know that idea of the world con word conformed is don't be molded, don't be shaped to this world. In other words, don't let the world control you and tell you what to be. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you either let the world control you or let the will of God control you. And Paul says that this type of presenting ourselves as a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice, in other words, you're giving God complete and total control. It's a reasonable service. You know, I think if there's a principle to be found in this verse, it's this. That giving Christ full control is a Christian's reasonable duty. It's reasonable. You know, working with teenagers in Texas, you know, they act, they, teenagers tend to act like some things in the Christian life are so unreasonable, right? Like, oh, there's a dress code, that's so unreasonable. Oh, you expect me to read my Bible, that's so unreasonable. Oh, you expect me to have these types of friends, that's so unreasonable. No, all these things, Paul says, it's your reasonable service. Giving Christ full control is a Christian's reasonable. It's reasonable. And we'll see why it's reasonable in, in coming verses here. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Another familiar verse. This is actually going to be our memory verse for the week. And I love this verse. This is so convicting. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul's writing again, and here's what he says to the church at Galatians. You know what I, is interesting? You, you see this theme so many times, almost in every single one of Paul's epistles. You know what that tells me? Most Christians struggle with this. <laughs> or Paul would not say the same thing to every church he was at. We struggle with this. We do. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. Doesn't that kind of ring a bell to what he says in Romans about being a living sacrifice. He's saying, I am dead. I'm crucified. Nevertheless, I live. Okay, Paul, how are you dead? You're crucified, but you're still alive. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying what this Greek word discreet means. He's He's died to his desires. He's died to the flesh. He's died to what he wants to do. And he is letting Christ literally be into the control to the extent that when somebody looks at him, it's not even like Paul's the one alive. It's that they, all they see is Christ living through him. And then he says, In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. This is a key phrase, I mark it, who loved me and gave himself for me. Why did Paul say in Romans that giving Christ full control is our reasonable service? Because of this. Christ gave his life for us. He offers us the gift of eternal life. And all he asks for us in return is to really give him control. And Paul says, that's reasonable. Because look what he did. He loved us. He gave himself, his physical life for us. Um, the principle I would say from this verse we can learn is that giving Christ full control is dying to our fleshly desires. If Christ is going to have full control, it requires a death 
of our fleshly desires. And that's what that very word discreet carries. It carries that idea of curbing one's desires, of getting your fleshly, those desires of the old nature of the old man under control. Um, and I think we all realize this, but when we trust Christ as Savior, right, the Bible talks about having a new life in Christ, that old man is still there, okay? He doesn't just, like, magically gone, and we don't never sin again. But we choose who we want to yield to. We choose who we want to give control. And we can keep feeding that old man, that old sin nature, or we can choose to yield, to give control, to feed Christ, so to speak. Um, for sake of time, uh, turn to one more passage with me. Um, if you want to drop down another verse that has to do with it, Colossians 3 verses 1 through 5 is another great passage. Very similar to that passage in Galatians. talks about us dying and um, really giving Christ control. Um, and then turn with me to John chapter 15 verse 4. John chapter 15 verse 4. Another super common verse. These are not unfamiliar things. Um, here's a principle we're going to see in this, in this verse. Giving Christ full control is abiding in the Holy Spirit. Giving Christ full control is our reasonable service. It's a Christian's reasonable duty. It's not, God is not asking too much of us. Um, and then giving Christ full control, it comes when we die to our fleshly desires. We have to die to flesh. And then giving Christ full control is the opposite of being the flesh, would be abiding in the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, verse 4 says this, Abide in me and die in you. You know, it's impossible to give Christ truly control for not abiding in him. Um, is the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. It's impossible to us, for us to bear fruits spiritual fruit if we're not abiding in Christ, if we're not abiding in the Holy Spirit. Giving Christ full control is, is really not, you know, I think sometimes we think it's so complicated. It's realizing it's our, it's our reasonable duty. It's our reasonable service. And then it's dying to the flesh. And you know what? That's a, that's a daily choice. It's a moment-by-moment -moment choice. When you are presented with decisions and temptations, it's choosing to die to the flesh and it's choosing to say yes to Christ and then instead abide in the Holy Spirit. Those two really work together. Giving Christ full control is abiding in the Holy Spirit. Um, and then these are, you know, areas of control is next there on, the, on, the, um, on your note sheet. Like I said, this is not, this is not a new revolutionary truth. These are basic things. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is we're not as surrendered. Not, we don't give Christ control like he should. We, we run our own desires and impulses, right? We don't surrender them to Christ. Um, and as a side note, can I say, to, if you are a younger Christian, if you're a teenager, maybe if you're an older Christian, um, if, if there's not been a time as you're in your life when we say, when you've surrendered your life to Christ, you should. Here's what that means. Is there a time in your life where you've, like Paul said, in Romans chapter 12, were you given your body as a living sacrifice where you say, God, my life is yours? You know, that's different than salvation, okay? That's different. Um, and let me remind you, if you've done that, it's not like a one-time thing like, oh yeah, I surrendered to Christ when I was 12. 
No, it's a daily moment by moment decision of, okay, who's gonna have control right now? <laughs> when I wanna lash out in anger, well, who's gonna have control? Is my flesh gonna take control of my tongue or is Christ gonna take control? Um, so some areas of control. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, the first question is who controls your choices? Who controls our choices? Um, and consider some of these with me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You know what? The truth of the matter is that's what we do so many times when it comes to choices, no matter how big or small. We just do what we think is best, right? That's leaning on our own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. You know, we quote that verse sometimes and we take out of it, oh, God will direct our paths. No, did you look at the conditions? You have to trust him. You have to not lean on yourself. And then you have to acknowledge him in all ways. So the question is, who controls your choices? You know, if you don't, um, if you don't come to the Lord and genuinely, you know, sometimes we pray about a choice, but in reality, we've already decided what we're going to do in our, in our mind. Isn't that so true? We're like, oh, I'm praying about this, but we've already made up our minds. And honestly, even if God spoke to us otherwise, we'd still do what we're going we're gonna to do because we've already made up our mind. But that's not the context of this verse. Um, it's complete reliance on the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Not leaning on your own understanding anyways. In all your ways acknowledging him. And then he'll guide you and he'll direct you. So who controls your choices? Um, hey, if you're a young person, if you're a teenager, can I tell you something? Um, your decision of college should not be based, and I'm just using college as an example, okay? Because that's a big one people use. Um, but no matter what it is, if you're a young person, no matter what it is, okay? Your decision of if you go to college, your career choice, who you marry, those choices should not be based on what your parents say. Okay, now I'm not saying don't take counsel from them, but just because your parents say it does not necessarily mean it's God's will. Um, your choice of college or whatever those choices are should not be based on money. You know, so many times I think, well, teenagers working with them in Texas, they'd be like, well, I'm not going to go to this college, this Bible college, because it's too expensive. Well, did you consider if it's God's will? If it's his will, he'll provide it. Or did you just let money control your decision? Um, distance from family shouldn't control our decisions, right? That's another big thing. I'm using the example of college. But you know what? So many teenagers, um, they choose a college just because it's close to home. Um, your friends doing something in the case of college, that shouldn't determine, oh, well, all my other friends from youth group or school are doing this one, so that's where I'm going to go. But do you see how many times, and the truth of the matter is adults, it's the same thing, isn't it? We make a choice, a job choice, because it pays better, right? And that's what we consider. Well, did you genuinely seek the Lord's will to control? And maybe that is God's will. But sometimes we let all these outside factors control our choice instead of letting Christ control and lead us. Um, and I think this is important to remember too. Some choices don't require prayer because the answer is already clearly in God's word. Here's what I mean, okay? Let's say you're a young lady and you're praying about you have this guy you really like and you know he's not saved. Don't pray about if it's God's will because I can tell you it's not God's will according to scripture. 
Now, I'm not saying it's never God's will if he gets saved and he grows in his Christian life. But do you know what I'm saying? Some things God has already commanded, don't do this in scripture. So then God's already made it clear what that choice should be. So who controls our choices? The truth of the matter, there are so many outside factors. We already mentioned them. Family, money, so many outside factors. Hey, if you guys go straight down the hall, that's where all the guys are. It's much more interesting than in here, I'm sure. Um, so who controls our choices? And you know, sometimes when I think it's choices, we think of really big choices. It doesn't have to be big choices. It can just be smaller choices. Who controls your choices? Is it you? Is it some of these other things we listed? Or is it Christ? Who controls your actions? Who controls our actions? Um, things we do, our eyes. Who controls your eyes? Does Christ control what you look at? Movies, social media, images. I mean, does Christ control what we look at? Um, our ears. Does Christ control what you listen to? Your music choices, does Christ control that? Or do you control that? Um, really practical things, listening to gossip. You know, the, you know the hardest thing to do sometimes is, um, it's just to put a stop to things. Like if somebody starts gossiping, to just excuse yourself <laughs> and to just get away from it. Or if something comes on the TV that has vulgar language, to just turn it off. And we let things slide so much, don't we? We let things slide when it comes to what we put in our ears. Well, does Christ control it or do you control it? Um, your tongue. Does Christ control what you say? Unkind words, gossip, complaining words. Oh, you know, sometimes we think about like, I, I'm good with my tongue. I am kind. Well, maybe you just complain, right? Up to your husband or whatever. Well, that's not letting Christ have control. Um, untrue things, stretching the truth. That's not letting Christ have control. I love the verse in Psalm 141, verse 3. This is a good one to jot down. Where David says, set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. <laughs> Isn't that what we need to pray to God? Just put a little guard in front of my mouth and <laughs> keep it under control. Um, that's what David had to pray. And, and the truth of the matter, that's what we need to pray a lot of times. Um, and we could go um, right down your list. Your, your appearance, does Christ control that? Your habits, does Christ control those? Does Christ control your actions? You know, it's easy to say, oh, yes, Christ controls my actions. You know, I'm not a terrible person. But when we get down to the nitty-gritty, Christ doesn't control us as much as he should. And as much as we should let him, he doesn't. And then lastly, um, who controls your thoughts? Who controls your thoughts? Does Christ control your thoughts? Um, and I think a lot of times of thoughts, we think of like immoral, impure things. And of course, that's included in that, but untrue things, right? Doesn't the Bible tell us to think on those things and it lists off all those things? True is one of them. Do you think on untrue things? Um, when it comes to thoughts, do you worry? That's, I have a hard time with worry. <laughs> I think all of us as ladies to some extent have a hard time with worry. Do you know worry is really, in some way, it's not letting Christ control your thoughts because you're not recognizing Christ as the one in control. Um, discontentment, we already mentioned that. Discontent thoughts, envious thoughts, jealous thoughts, hateful thoughts. Does Christ control your thoughts? So the question is, and we'll wrap up here because the kids are here. Who's in control? Who's in control? 
is Christ in control or are you in control? And I think the answer would be for all of us, there's areas Christ is not in control as he should. And I hope that you'll do your little assignment, not assignment, your personal application section on the back, whatever you want to call it. I hope you'll reflect on those and practically take inventory of your life and see if there's some areas you need to say, you know what, Lord, I'm re-surrendering or I'm re-giving this to you and I'm re-giving you control in this area.